All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Hi, Keith. Good morning. I missed you yesterday because it was a very busy day on uh, the First Nations front. We had a number of announcements and developments, and it was a, quite an extraordinary historic day at the legislature. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you had the uh, the, his, the historic uh, legislation yesterday in the, in BC legislature. Well, it wasn't, uh, right? wasn't legislation. It was an announcement um, that built on previously passed legislation, which is right. the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. So it was an 89-point action plan, yeah. 89 specific actions. Uh, designed to implement UNDRIP. So when UNDRIP was passed, it was passed unanimously in the legislature, but nobody really had an idea. How, like, how is this going to work in terms of um, on the ground? Uh, and now we got a glimpse of it yesterday. 89 separate points um, to implement UNDRIP in every ministry and make every law uh, part of it. So it's everything from... Um, providing internet service, for example, in all Aboriginal communities to... Uh, improved education uh, access, improved health care, and also um, guaranteeing First Nations a part of the economic pie out there. And that has implications for everything from natural resource projects, for example, uh, to other in industry. Okay, let's listen to one of BC's Indigenous leaders who was at the legislature yesterday. This is Linda Whitsum, who is the chief of the Cowichan tribes. Here's what she had to say yesterday. As we go forward... Yes, there's going to be pitfalls, but it's our job to work together to avoid them. And part of that is about recognizing the inherent right of Indigenous people to be self-determining. And this is such an incredible opportunity to work together towards that. So without question, pitfalls, but we've seen them all already. You know, we have to go forward in a better way. Okay, so one of the questions I have about this, and I think a lot of people do, is how does this work going forward for resource development? So let's mm -hmm. say you've got a mine, you've got a logging permit, you've got some other sort of natural resource. Do First Nations now have what's been called the veto over development in their territories? I'm not sure it's a veto so much as you need the, the collaboration and partnership with First Nations. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to see First Nations veto all industrial projects, because they have an economic stake in, them, in any of these as well. Many First Nations want to be a partner in industrial development. You, you look at uh, what's going on in Metro Vancouver. The Musqueam First Nations is the major land developer in Metro Vancouver. They're building huge uh, uh, housing developments. And you're going to see other First Nations are partnering with uh, other companies around the province. I talked to a major forestry executive last week who says basically – you need the partnership and, and collaboration with a First Nation if you want to do harvesting or mining or whatever on land that they uh, claim as their own. What happens, though, if you have some First Nations leaders who are on opposite sides of it? And, I mean, we see a dramatic example of this with the uh, the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline mm -hmm. in northern British Columbia, where the elected chief of the First Nations up there along that pipeline, they all support the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But then you have some hereditary chiefs who are opposed to it. So what happens? That? That, that that's a very good question, and no one really knows the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the elected chiefs versus hereditary chiefs. The Coastal Gas Link is a classic example where the the majority of the First Nations right. want the pipeline, but a tiny faction, and it's not even the majority of the hereditary chiefs. It's just a faction of the hereditary chiefs want to oppose it, and that's um, you know. There's really no clear answer how that gets resolved. Well, I mean, one clear answer from government is that the pipeline's going ahead. 
right? Well, that's that's their view. But yeah. again, we've got uh, we had a violent uh, protest up there yeah. where they trashed the offices and assaulted people, uh, the the opponents of the pipeline. But it, just because government says that it wants something to go ahead doesn't mean it goes ahead. It may go ahead legally, but you're still going to face fierce opposition in some quarters. Okay, Justin Trudeau in British Columbia yesterday, also on First Nations issues. He was at, in Williams Lake at the site of the former residential school, the St. Joseph's Mission. He was in invited there by the First Nation. Here's what Trudeau had to say yesterday. I'm mostly here to listen, to learn, to hear from elders and community members on what the path forward looks like, not just for this community, but for this country, in partnership, in respect, uh, in reconciliation. Okay, so this is the First Nation where they announced the discovery of 93 unmarked graves in that site near Williams Lake back in January. Trudeau announcing yesterday $2.9 million to families who had children at the St. Joseph's Mission Residential School. That's on top of the $1.4 million that was already allocated to identify more burial sites. Mm -hmm. I suspect this is going to take more money. Oh, oh, for sure. Only a small portion of the land up there has been um, surveyed with this um, this groundbreaking um, heat-seeking radar. A very small portion. So there's still a lot of ground to check out there uh, for uh, unmarked burial sites. It was an emotional meeting yesterday. We had our, our report up there. Uh, again, talking to survivors yeah. who met with the Prime Minister, who in some cases told their stories for the very first time. So it was quite an emotional encounter up there with the Prime Minister and the National uh, Aboriginal Affairs Minister, Mark Miller. Yeah, and Trudeau, of course, you know, he'd been invited there months ago, famously went on vacation to Tofino in the mm -hmm. interim, took a lot of grief over that. He apologized for it, got around to it, and uh, probably a good day for him up there. Okay. Oh, I think so. It was uh, an emotional encounter. I think it, it did him well to to be there, and yeah. and it was it was fascinating. Yesterday, you had First Nations issues take front and center stage yeah. on three fronts. Undrip being spelled out with an action plan in Victoria. The Prime Minister visiting the the uh, St. Joseph Mission uh, residential school site and meeting with survivors there, and then you had. 32 uh, First Nations leaders in Rome meeting with Pope Francis, who's now apparently has secured a promise to come to Canada. We still don't know whether we're going to get an apology, though. Okay, let's play a little bit of that. This is Phil Fontaine here, the former National Chief Assembly of First Nations, on his meeting with the Pope in Rome. Have a listen. gave me a real sense of optimism that uh, we're on the verge of finally turning the corner. And... Uh, we heard the Holy Father say to us very clearly, the church is with you. Okay, so I guess the question is, would Pope Francis come to Canada and would he issue an apology here? Well, one of the other First Nations leaders today did say that in the meeting that he did promise to come to Canada in 2023. Okay. So that apparently is going to happen. Whether or not we get a formal, they, they get a formal apology from the Roman Catholic Church remains to be seen. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Pope Francis had earlier apologized to indigenous groups in South America. Mm -hmm. So you're wondering, like, why would there not be an apology here? I wonder if the Vatican's worried about legal liability here in Canada because the, school, the residential school system was so extensive. Could I don't be. Know. It could be. I don't know. It's a, it's an evolving situation. The fact that they were able to actually meet with the Pope on this issue yeah. a couple of years ago, no one saw that coming. Right. Okay. Um, real quickly, before we take a break, take some calls. 
some brand new polling out. We've been talking about Jason Kenney next door in Alberta mm-hmm. facing that leadership review there as leader of the United Conservative Party. What are the polls saying for Kenny there? So an Angus Reid poll out today, um, sort of a good news, bad news for Kenny. The good news is party's up, actually. United Conservatives are up, and the Wild Rose Party is down in public opinion. That's good news for him. Bad news for him is his unfavor, his uh, unpopularity continues unabated. I mean, he's just not improving with the voters. And, in fact, his government is faulted on, an, I think, something like 13 different issues is not performing well. So, again, it's a mixed bag for, for Jason Kenney. His party seems to be improving its fortunes with as amongst decided voters, but he himself is not. And you have to wonder whether he, he finds a way to pull the plug before he faces that leadership review, because his leadership review, uh, if he can't pass that, he's not going to be going to the Pull polls. the plug and resign or pull the plug and call an election? I think pull the plug and call an election. Yeah, I mean, because it, the, the next scheduled election in Alberta next is year. a year from now. It's yeah. in May 2023. But it's always a premier's prerogative yeah. to go early, right? It's always, yep. Um, also, now the, the leadership review is now going to be a mail-in, not yeah. an in-person. An in-person, you know, was a torch-bearing mob against the <laughs> Jason Kenney. Now it's a mail-in. That'll diffuse some of the anger and it'll perhaps allow him to corral enough support to, to hang on. The reason they went to a mail-in leadership review for this party on Kenny's leadership was because there were so many people who wanted to have a vote. They couldn't do an in-person convention. So mm-hmm. they said, okay, we'll do a mail-in. It's like 15,000 people 15, eligible to vote. So that's a lot. Now, I want, how do you read that? Because I read that as potentially bad for Kenny because there's been a lot of organizing against his leadership, including inside his own party, people out to get him. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I think an in-person meeting would have been disastrous for him because, you know, we've, you know, I've attended in-person political gatherings and the emotions can run pretty high at those events and it can just take over. A wave goes through the crowd and out you go. Uh, mail-in though diffuses the anger and allows him time to, to, buy some support with uh, with lower emotions. Okay. I, I once saw Rachel Notley, the NDP leader and the former premier, when she became premier of Alberta, I thought this is something I would never see in NDP government in Alberta. She was like a one-term wonder, and I thought we'll never see that again. Now I'm not so sure. Maybe she does end well, up premier again. Uh, yeah, it's uh, again, the Angus Reid poll today shows that the NDP is not necessarily more popular uh, right now, and Notley's numbers are not that... Uh, much better than Jason Kenney. Is she Kenny's. in the lead, though? I think it's I think slightly? a slight lead over Jason Kenney, but she's yeah. not that uh, super popular either. I mean, Albertans are, seem to be really split right now, which means it's uh, anyone's ballgame. Okay. It's also, it shows that, uh, again, in, in B.C., the NDP continues to have a very healthy lead over the B.C. Liberals. 15 Hor- points. So Horgan's, look, Horgan's happy with the polls right now. Horgan has yeah. the first or second highest approval rating in the, in the, pro- in the country. Yeah. Uh, it's 44 to 29 uh, percent. Amongst decided voters, 44% NDP, 29% BC Liberal. The Liberals are actually down. And Kevin Falcon's challenge right now, no one knows who he is. All right, Keith Baldry is my guest. Let's go right to your phone calls here. James in White Rock. Hi, James, go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I, I am an Albertan, and I, I kind of hold a different standpoint. I think that when Kenny was originally elected, he was elected on the basis that he was going to stand up for the province against the feds, and not a single thing has happened since he's been at the wheel. Now, I think that the rest of the country has got to be a little bit worried about it because if Brian Jean or, or Daniel Smith get into power with the UPC, I think there's going to be a rollover effect. I'd like, uh, For me, I, I, could, uh, I could really care less about what the feds have to say about oil or anything else. We already know where they stand. 
And we need a leader that's actually going to stand up for the people of the province instead of bowing down to the Federalists and what they want to do with their environmental agenda and destroying the entirety of our well, do you economy. Th- well, do you think that Brian Jean guy can do that? Oh, Brian Jean is way more right than Kenny is. He's yeah. not a Federalist. He, he's a provincial leader. He's not a Federalist. Kenny went into this thinking that one day he's going to be the, the Prime Minister of the country, and he's failed miserably. Okay, thank you for the call. Brian Jean is a, a United Conservative MLA who's been openly challenging. And James is right. He's he's much to the right of even Jason Kennedy. Jason Kennedy in that famed uh, audio uh, that was um, obtained last week talking about he was going to bail on his on the party and the leadership, but he didn't want to get him give in to what he called the lunatics who yes. he said were waiting out there to take over the party. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want the lunatics to take over the, the asylum. Yep. So that's why he's sticking around. Lee on the line in Richmond. Hi, Lee. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Just to say that although I don't agree with everything our provincial government's doing, I do support Oregon. I think that they've done a great job. Nobody's ever going to be happy with everything. And as for Jason Kenney, He's in that far. I, I totally don't understand why he thinks he knows more than provincial health officers and virtually everyone. So that's my take. Thanks for the call. Yeah, so again, this Angus Reid poll gives Kenny very low marks on, on his government's COVID-19 response, but BC's uh, approval rating for its COVID-19 response is the tops in the entire country. How do you see an election between Horgan and Kevin Falcon unfolding? Well, right now, I think it's too early to say. It's not going to happen for a couple of years. And Falcon, again, doesn't have any profile. Even though he'd been a cabinet minister for a number of years, he's been a developer for a long time. So he's not in the... Uh, we have yet to really see the two parties uh, square off in public. Is opinion. Horgan dragging his feet on that by-election because he doesn't want to see Falcon in the legislature? Yeah, I'm not sure why he's... Uh, I think you're right. I think he is dragging his feet. There's no reason why he can't call it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, it would be good, good gentlemanly politics to allow Kevin Falcon, if he's going to win, to take his seat before the House because, rises because, at the end of May. Because the seat he would be running in is... Vancouver Quilchana, which is one of the safest BC Liberal seats in the entire province. Wilkinson's old seat. Yeah. What's the, agreed to step aside for him. West right. side of Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, Wilkinson's already stepped aside, so the seat is vacant. And yeah. you could argue that people of Vancouver Quilchana deserve representation in the legislature. They don't right. have it right now. Well, let's go. Horgan should call that by-election. Let's go. Elizabeth in White Rock. Hi, Elizabeth. Go ahead. Hello, I just love John Horgan, and I'm not surprised he's one of the most popular premiers in Canada, despite Mike Smith's campaign to bring him down most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I've known Horgan a long time, and uh, I don't know, I kind of like him too, as a, as a, as a guy. Um, I think he's been an overachiever, that's for sure. Like, when he was first talked about running for leader, a lot of people thought, well, he didn't really have much of a hope, but he's exceeded a lot of expectations, I would say. Oh, I think he's fared far better as premier than he did as opposition leader, and I don't think he would disagree with that. He, by his own admission, he did not like being opposi- in opposition, like being the leader of the opposition, thought the expectations were unrealistic, there was no thanks in the job, there was really nothing to, to judge yourself against, and as premier, like I say, you know, I've covered 10 premiers, I've never met a guy, a premier, who enjoys the job more than John Horgan does.